So it is now my great privilege to get to introduce Jack Roberts. He is going to be our guest pastor today. So if you would welcome Jack, that would be great. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, enjoyed being here for first service and got a good looking group here today. Uh, well, I don't know how good looking you are. I can't see faces anymore. <laughs> The crowd looks pretty good. Okay, I've got a problem. There it is. That solved the problem. Okay, it's going to say, I don't know why. I don't even have Xfinity, and up came Xfinity instead of my sermon. I don't know. Let's take a moment this morning to pray. I, I, I meant to do this first service and didn't, so we'll do it now. Um, for the people who are in the fire areas, and those who are having to evacuate. Uh, Becky got text that we were reading right after uh, first service about uh, my best friend pastors. He's retired, and he pastors a church in Oakley that's, well, let's put it this way. When Becky and I go there, we're the youngest there, so that'll give you an idea of the age of these people. And it's a small church. They are really a loving group, and they pray a lot. And I enjoy going there, but most, a lot of them are in wheelchairs. There's different situations there, and they're having to evacuate. And you think about that. Those are people I know, but think about all over the area, the people who are elderly and on oxygen and on different kinds of things, and they have to evacuate and leave their homes and Hotels are full everywhere that are in good areas, and we need to just pray for them this morning. So let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, it's hard to understand sometimes with events like fires or hurricanes or tornadoes, all those kinds of things, the, the destruction we see. But Lord, we know we live in a sinful world and a world that's not perfect. But we know you have what is sufficient for us. Lord, be with these people who are facing such turmoil in their lives right now. Some of them, their homes will be fine and it's just the turmoil of having to move out. Others, Lord, will lose what seems like everything to them, Lord. But, Lord, they will have their lives and their families, Lord. And, Lord, we just pray for them, Lord. We pray that you'd give them peace beyond understanding, Lord. We pray that you would comfort them, Lord. And we pray that the firemen would be able to get the, the firestorms under control, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep those fighting the fire safe, Lord, those those brave men and women who are fighting the fires. And, and we just pray and lift them up that your hand would be upon them and watch over them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When Scott asked me to, to preach this Sunday, he told me that he had been preaching on doctrines. And I called and asked him, if it'd be all right if I preached on the doctrine of grace, or had he already done that? And he said, well, he had it in a point of one of his sermons, but he thought it would be good for me to go ahead and preach on it. So the, 
So this morning we're going to look at the doctrine of grace. Uh, I don't know if you realize ministers do this. and You know, I probably wouldn't admit it to this when I was in my 40s, but at 65 I'll admit to most anything. So <clears throat> I, uh, I, I needed this sermon. And so the preparation for it, the praying over it, the reading it, helped me. Uh, you might have noticed that I used a cane to at least get up and come up a little ways. Uh, several weeks ago, I was headed out to preach somewhere else on Sunday morning. Becky had the car cranked up. I was headed to the car. I don't guess you crank up an electric car, but it was turned on. <laughs> and, uh, and there in the garage, I tripped over air. You never have done that, have you? And fell on my right knee, uh, didn't fracture it, uh, but it didn't keep it from hurting. Let me tell you, it is still, it has really hurt. And so I had that going on in my life. For the last 18 months, I've had to give up driving due to my eyesight, and it continues to, to get worse. And I wasn't kidding. Uh, from a distance like this, I don't see anybody's faces. Uh, so you all look just alike, other than I can tell what color clothes you wear. Uh, but, so, I've had some things in my life that where I needed to, to be growing in the grace of God and accepting the grace of God. And, and he's really helped me with it. I want to be honest about that. He, is, he has really helped me accept the, the limitations. Uh, they're funny little things you don't think about. Uh, sometimes I just would like to be able to jump in the car and, and go for a ride by myself. And, and, and you can't do that. But you can go pray by yourself. You can go do other things by yourself. You could, well, before my knee was hurt, I could go for a walk by myself. Still do that if I take the cane. And, you know, I prayed. Now, I, I felt like we need to be growing in the grace of God. So I, I wanted to talk about the doctrine of grace. And for many people, the whole doctrine of grace starts and ends with salvation. And I want you to see this morning, it starts with salvation, but in no way is that all there is to grace. Let's look at the scripture, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. You have been born through faith. And that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God. By grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. When we look at the, the grace of God, and, and we begin to, to, to look into saving grace, we need to understand that, that as Christians... We believe that we can't do anything to earn our salvation. That our salvation is a free gift to us. It was cost Jesus his life on the cross. Don't ever think it's free, but it was free to us. We could not earn it. This is a very difficult assumption for most Western people in the Western world and especially for most people in the United States. Because we have this independent streak to us that we can take care of ourselves. 
that we don't need help. That people who need help feel entitled and there's something wrong with them. Where the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one who can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. There's no one who can be good enough to get into heaven. There's no one who can receive the power they need to live on this earth in the way God made you to live on this earth without the grace of God. And, and that is part of what it means to accept Jesus as your Savior is you accept that you are a sinner. You accept that you are weak. You accept that you need power from a source outside yourself to be all he made you to be. It's, first of all, accepting that you are a creature and not the creator, that you are not the one who made yourself and are in control of your life. And I mean, a lot of people have an issue with not being in control of their life. Uh, I'm married to one sitting right there. She doesn't trust the airplane pilot. She doesn't trust the backup camera on the car. She wants to look and see for herself. Uh, she likes to be in control. That just makes her like most human beings, by the way. Most of us are that way. And <clears throat> when you look at that, the way you become a Christian is to admit you really don't have the ability to be in control of your own life and not make a mess of it. And when you do that, you say to, you confess to Jesus that you have sinned, that you've fallen short of his glory, and that you want to ask him to come into your life and you will receive his forgiveness for your sins. Now, the interesting thing about the Western Christian, the Christian in, in the United States, again especially, we have whole denominations who, even though they believe you're saved by faith, they don't believe God's grace is good enough to keep you saved. And that's just a human nature. Again, they think, well, you've got to live good enough after you're saved. And, and, and that's kind of an odd thing that you can't be good enough, but after you're saved, you will be good enough. And, and that's not going to happen. We still sin. We should grow where we sin less, but we still are going to sin after we've asked Jesus into our lives because we're weak, because as the Apostle Paul puts it, we have a worldly nature that fights against our spiritual nature, and sometimes that worldly nature, we succumb to it and we do things that are wrong. The wonderful thing God has already paid the price for that sin on the cross. And when you confess that you have been forgiven already, but you receive the forgiveness, you, you process it in your life so that that sin's not your burden any longer when you confess it. Grace is part of the sa salvation experience we have. You are saved by grace through faith. And when you say that, let me give you a definition of grace. 
And I'm not talking about one Webster would have. I'm talking about the Christian definition. Grace is God's mercy combined with God's love. Okay? For God so loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a combination of the love God has for his people that he created with the mercy he has to forgive them if they will accept his forgiveness. That's what grace is. Now, as I mentioned, now we could get into a long theological discussion about grace, but, but that's enough to understand about grace to get you into heaven, so let's just leave it at that. Now, grace doesn't end when you're saved. In fact, when you look at grace, it should be part of your life for the rest of your life. It should be part of how you live, both how you live in yourself and how you live with others. So saving grace starts with what we know as the, the utter giving of ourself. You know, Jesus told a story about that kind of grace. And it is a story that shows us how you start with saving grace and you grow. You know the story of the, of the prodigal son? The son who asked for all his inheritance ahead of time, who went out and, and, and lived however he pleased. Uh, he sort of, I, I get the idea, when we moved out here, our son was in his freshman year in college and in Georgia, if you keep a B average, your college is free at any state university. And uh, he didn't keep a B average. Uh, he'd always had an A and B average in high school. And I asked him why. And he said, well, I was sort of having a college experience. Uh, this, this young man in this story was having a life experience. And, and he wasn't making the grade. He spent all his inheritance... He no longer had enough money to live on. He had to go work for a pig farmer. Pretty bad for a Jewish young man. And he had to feed the pigs. And he got where he was so hungry, he would eat with the pigs. And one day, he comes to his senses and he says, well, if I go back to dad and just ask to be a servant, at least I won't have to eat pig slop. I can, can, can be treated well and have a roof over my head. And so he heads back to admit that he has messed up big time. I can just imagine the conversations he's going through in his mind of what he's going to tell his father. But the Bible said that his father saw him from a long ways off. And when he saw him coming, his father had such grace for him that he, he got a robe, a, a robe that only his sons could wear. And he had them kill the fatted calf for they could have a big barbecue. And they, they brought him. He, he ran out and met his son and didn't let him go into saying how he wanted to be a servant. Instead, he said to him, you are my son who was lost and you've come back. And his grace for him welcomed him in. And his son would live there. The, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but we know he would live there in his father's grace 
and be there as a son of God. Now, how do we move from saving grace to living in grace? In 2 Peter, verse, chapter 3, verse 18, and yes, there is a book in your Bible named 2 Peter. It's a little bitty book. Uh, when I was in school, we had a guest professor from Yale, and I quoted 2 Peter in an argument to him over something in class. It was graduate-level class. And he kicked me out of the room for the day. He told me nobody ought to waste their time reading 2 Peter. He was liberal. Um, I don't believe that. I think 2 Peter is a wonderful little book, and it says this. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, our Western minds really sometimes make it difficult. We see this, and we see grow in grace and knowledge. And what's the first thing we think of? we got to know a lot about it. That's not how the, the, even the Greek language worked, much less the, the language that the writers of this would have kind of processed this in, and that is through Hebrew before they wrote it in Greek. In that language, in those, both of those ancient languages, you repeated a word after, you, you changed the word after it to say how you were supposed to do the first thing. And, and what it really says here is, so grow in grace through the knowledge you have of Jesus Christ. In other words, as you experience life and you experience as a Christian and you become more like Jesus and you know more about Jesus, you will grow in grace. And we need to do that. We need to have an experiential, excuse me uh, for that, but I'm dyslexic, and sometimes it comes across in my tongue, too. <laughs> uh, you need to experience grace in your life as you grow in grace. And what does that mean? It means admitting always that you need God. Admitting that you need His power. You need His help, even with the things He made you talented and good at, and especially with those things you aren't gifted with. You need his grace in knowing how to deal with the hard times in life. And you need his grace to know how to deal when you're having especially good times and you tend to walk out and think, I don't need him anymore. Grace is the way we live so that we always acknowledge, yes, I was a sinner, I am a sinner, but I am saved by the grace of God and I can live in the power of that grace and the love of that grace and the forgiveness of that mercy. And we have to grow in that. We don't start out the day we're saved the way we should end up by the time God takes us home. We should become more capable of accepting our own humanity and more dependent on the divinity of God. Because we need to always remember that God created us with a purpose. He created us with a plan for our life. 
He created us to be more than we've ever imagined we could be. And we can only be that if we draw upon His power. You know, that, that first verse we read said that grace saves us through faith. Faith is an unusual part, and I use the strangest illustration. I, I used to preach children's sermons every, every Sunday for so many years where I would sit on the step and little children would come sit around me. So I still sometimes think like I did in those children's sermons. And when I was explaining faith to them, I would use a straw. And I'd say, faith is how God's love and power comes to you like this water comes out of the straw to me. It's the conduit for the power of God. When we have faith, it's the conduit. It's the electric lines that we're worried about. It's the gas lines. It's the power. It's the way. It's our faith that activates so that God's power comes into our life and His grace. And we need to live knowing we are dependent on that. And we can accept the things that come our way in life because we always know God is there for us. God is with us. We do not face it alone. So I want to encourage you to spend some time studying about grace. Maybe you could read some books about grace. In his later years, Billy Graham wrote about grace. And it was with sadness that Billy Graham said that he thought less than 10% of Christians in America that he knew had ever learned to live in the grace of God. Instead, they lived in guilt and weakness. And we don't want that. God gave his son on the cross for we could be more than that. For we could have life and have it abundantly. And you can have an abundant life regardless of the circumstances of your life. You can have the joy of your salvation as David prayed for. You can have the joy of God, the joy of prayer, the privilege of talking to the Creator daily, hourly if you want to. You can have that. Now there are two other things I want to say about grace this morning. Grace isn't just something you have between you and God. You are expected to show grace to others. Now, what is grace? Love and mercy. You are expected. So let's start by saying you're expected to share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know... I, in my job that I do, being that I work with so many different churches, but, but I, I pastored for many years before I took that job. Let me tell you, there are a lot, just like there are a lot of unhealthy marriages, there are a lot of unhealthy churches. This isn't one of them. But even at healthy churches, we have people who don't lift one another up but tear people down. Um, John Maxwell was one of my friends. He's, I haven't seen him in 
since we moved to California, and he moved to Atlanta, but when he was there, and he's a great motivational speaker. But he used to say, when you go to church, you carry an imaginary bucket of water and an imaginary bucket of gasoline. He said, every church member comes in with one of those. Every staff member comes in with those two things. And he says, when a fire comes up, you have to decide whether you're going to put the water on it or you're going to pour that gasoline on it. And he said, way too many Christians and staff members pour the gasoline on it. Instead of doing what they can to say, oh, no, let's go talk to the pastor if you feel that way. Or let's go talk to the youth director if you feel that way. They'll say, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And all, you know, for long, everybody has got this fire going. That's not grace. Not at all. That's not even love. And we are to, to, to love. Uh, what did John say? They'll know we are Christians because we love one another. Peter said, in the, in the first letter to Peter, I think, or the first of his letters, he said, we should lift one another up with praise. We are to be gracious, loving, and merciful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The most beautiful picture of that is from the Apostle Paul when he says, if you see a brother or sister who falls from grace, he doesn't mean loses their salvation, but they sin. He says, you are to reach down and help them up, even if it means sharing a word of correction with this attitude. You may need them to do that for you tomorrow. Not with a holier than thou, not you poor thing, but with let me help you because I know I may need your help tomorrow. That's grace. That's love and forgiveness, but still helping a person through problems. And we need to see our call to do that for each other as Christians. Uh, we live in a, a, a tough age. I, I I'm 65 years old, and I've been in church since uh, I was born on Monday and I went on Sunday. You can do the math. Uh, been in church a long time. My father was, in the 1950s and early 60s, the Democratic chairman for the state of Alabama. And uh, so politics were a big part of our life. There were people at church who voted for the people my daddy wanted to, and there were people at church that didn't. I never in my life knew at church for politics to be a problem. Never. I never knew anybody to lose a friendship over politics. I know my mother and father did get in a fight in the voting booth back when men and women, wives and husbands, go in at the same time because they didn't vote for the same person, and my daddy yelled at her. I know that. But it didn't break up our marriage or their marriage or our family. But we live in a time where there's such lines grown. And some people just feel like, well, these people aren't like us. They're not Christian anymore. And we need to understand, doesn't matter where you are on that, we are called to love one another. We are called to be gracious to one another. We are called to lift one another up in praise. And the only way you can do that the only way you can feel that way, if you're growing in the grace that God has for you, 
so that you'll never forget that you're wrong too. You're a sinner too. That you don't know everything. That you depend on God just like this person depends on God. And it calls for that, for us to be even able to love our fellow Christians. It calls much more than that for us to be able to be gracious to those who aren't Christian. One of the hardest things to accept for Christians is that Jesus never once expected non-Christians to act like Christians before they were saved. We judge non-Christians because they do non-Christian things. Jesus went and ate with them and loved them and forgave them and healed them and brought them into the love of God. He gave them grace and mercy and love so that they could see who God was, so they could experience the love of God. We can't expect people that we don't show the love we have that God gave us to them to think our Christianity is worth having. If Christianity is worth having, we have to be changed so like God we can love all people. You can even love people you don't like. I, I, I mean that honestly. And then you can pray that God will help you learn to like them. And then if you learn to like them, maybe you can even learn to care about them. But we need to understand that the grace we grow in keeps us from thinking that we are better than other people. Because if we're growing in grace, we're always growing knowing that we didn't deserve to be Christians. It was just given to us out of the goodness and the loving and the mercy of God. This morning, I'd like to challenge you to spend some time praying about grace. Praying about remembering that you need to live in God's grace. And the great gift that is of being able to be free from your feeling guilty and accepting his forgiveness and trying to live in such a way that pleases him instead of competing. I mentioned that and forgot to mention it in this sermon. I saw, a, I have a little thing I go to that I don't know how I got it. It's on the internet. And every once in a while it posts a bunch of pictures of church signs. Most of them are hilarious, mistakes, different things. <clears throat> this week there was one I saw that just kind of hit me. It started with the quote of the verse out of 1 Corinthians 13. It says we should be happy with all good men when truth prevails or happy with all good men when things go well. And then under it said, life is not a competition. Life is a journey. We don't have to be better than other people. Because I got a secret. God says you're not. Doesn't matter how hard you try, you're not better. We're all sinners we all fell short of God's glory. And whatever we have is due to His grace. I'll close with one of my favorite little stories. I 
had the, the privilege at Baylor of having a professor who had actually known C.S. Lewis. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were uh, friends and were at the university in Oxford at the same time. They played cards at Tolkien's house every Friday night. And one night, none of the cards were going Tolkien's way. And Tolkien threw the cards down and said, this is my house, I deserve better. And Lewis looked at him and says, no, you just deserve hell, God gave you better. <laughs> Pretty good friends to say that, I guess. Sometimes we just need to remember that in how we live in grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here today and for sharing your word. Lord, your grace is way beyond our understanding. It's so hard to know how you can love and have mercy on everybody when so many often everything in our nature wants to do what we please and not what you created us to be. But Lord, help us grow in that grace. Help us grow to understand what you made us to be. Help us grow to let your love and your mercy flow out of us so that we are true people of grace to other people. Help us lift one another up for praise and help us be known for loving people and not judging people. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.